0: Today we are resuming our sermon series. Um, We took a couple of weeks break because we were recognizing the ministry of Jan Cook. But you might recall that for the couple of weeks before that, we had started a sermon series called Our Church, Christ's Home. And it's based off of a poem that was written several years ago where the poet talks about how in welcoming Christ into his heart, it was just the same as welcoming Christ into your home. And in the poem, he walks everybody through, this is the kitchen of my heart, this is the den of my heart, this is the living room of my heart. How do we create welcome for Christ in our hearts? And so we're asking the same question of ourselves today. How do we welcome Christ into this church? How can the church be a suitable home for the presence of Jesus Christ? Today we're going to be looking at a passage from Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25. This is Paul speaking to the people in the church of Rome, and he is, he's talking about sin. So hang with me. We're going to talk about it a little bit. But this is, this is one of those doozies that, if I get tongue-tied, my apologies. Here we go. This is Romans 7, verses 14 through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that... When I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, With my mind, I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. Friends, if you'll join me, heaven knows we should pray before we try and figure out what Paul's saying here. Let's join our hearts in prayer. God, it's difficult to talk about sin and it's difficult to talk about who you are calling us to be as the church in the face of the things that we do not want to do, but we do anyway. So speak to our hearts. Illuminate our souls. Help us to tell the truth. Make us strong and courageous. And together, shape us into the church that welcomes Christ at every turn. So welcome that Christ can call this place his home. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in the second grade, my next-door neighbor, Sanjay, was telling me about how he wanted a certain baseball card. I didn't know anything about baseball cards, but I had seen packs of cards being sold at the local pharmacy. So how hard could finding one card be? Feeling confident, I told him that I could find that baseball card for him. ''Really?'' he said to me, incredulously, ''Sure.'' I said, feeling a little superior. And so the next time that I went to the pharmacy with my mom, I asked her if we could buy a pack of baseball cards. She looked at me strangely. She knew that something was up, but she agreed to purchase one pack. Once we got home, I opened up that foiled cellophane pack, and I looked for the name of that particular baseball player that Sanjay was looking for. It wasn't there. So I started to rethink my plan. I didn't know anything about baseball cards. The fact hit me anew. How many packs was I going to have to buy before I found it? As a seven-year-old, I couldn't fathom the expansive and the expensive world of baseball card collecting, but all the same, I started to realize pretty quickly that I was way out of my league. So a day or so later, Feeling embarrassed and a little scared, I brought out the little stack of baseball cards to Sanjay and I handed them over, saying that I couldn't find that card that he wanted after all. Sanjay took the cards from my hand and he sifted through them a little bit. Did you just buy a pack at the pharmacy? He asked me. Shocked that he had guessed what I had done, I started to feel really ashamed. Yes, I said, And I was ready for him to ridicule me or to be angry or to say something else that I knew was just going to make me feel awful. That's okay, he said. I've done that before too. Thanks for trying. It was the first time in my life that I remember feeling the effect of grace. They say that mercy is not getting what you deserve and that grace is getting what you don't deserve. That day, Sanjay treated me with a kindness that I knew I didn't deserve. That day, I had been haughty and superior, convinced that I knew better about a topic that I really knew nothing about. And I could have been taken down a peg or two. Maybe I should have been. I don't know. But he, as a fellow seven-year-old and as someone who was a younger brother with several older siblings, he knew what it felt like to be in that exact same position that I had found myself in. And rather than rubbing my face in my own self-importance, he chose not to be a hypocrite. He chose to tell the truth on himself. And by telling the truth on himself, that he knew what I had done only because he had done it too, he helped to lift some of the shame that I was feeling off of my shoulders. By telling the truth on himself, he dispensed grace to me. Even though that conversation happened well over 30 years ago, I have never forgotten it. And that's because true grace leaves an impression that is not easily forgotten, which is no doubt why God has called the church to be a people of grace, to be people who tell the truth on ourselves, helping to lift some of the shame from the shoulders of other people and dispensing grace at every single opportunity. Embodying that kind of grace is us embodying the kind of Jesus Christ that we see in our scripture passage for today. In our scripture passage for today, Paul, he's talking about sin, but he's only speaking about sin as a method of dispensing grace. Paul is telling the truth on himself in order to extend grace to those first century Christians as well as to extend grace to you and to me. Eugene Peterson's The Message translates this of our passage by saying it this way. He has Paul saying, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time living by sin's rules. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things that I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, then it's obvious that I need God's instruction. God's instruction. It's necessary. And then he goes on to say, but I need something more than God's instruction. For if I know the law, but I can't keep it, if I know God's instruction, but I can't follow it, and if the power of sin within me is sabotaging the best of my intentions, then I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I can decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in any actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me. It gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me, Paul asks. And isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but where I am also pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. I like reading that whole passage from the message because I think the way that Paul describes sin is almost comical to us today. Because how many of us can relate to a time where we were determined to keep our mouth shut and not say only thing, only to then blurt out what we intentionally didn't want to say? Or how many times have we felt like there really needed to be something said, only to let the moment pass us by in silence? How many times have we felt the pull of the Holy Spirit to do something, to say something, to give something to someone because we wanted them to experience more hope or more love or more forgiveness or more life, only to sit on our hands because it was scary and it felt safer to do nothing. Every single day, we live out what Paul is talking about here. Every single day, we live out our lives in this tug-of-war between who we feel called to be and who we are choosing to become. Sin is often made complicated by a whole bunch of theological language, but ultimately, this is all that sin is. Sin is the tug-of-war within us between who God is calling us to be and our own fears and anxieties and insecurities and shame that pull us back from that calling. This tug of war, it would be a really easy thing for us to condemn in others. It would be really easy for us to condemn if we didn't all suffer from it. We could say so easily to one another, They should have just made the right choice and walk away, feeling self-important, with justified with ourselves. Some Christians do choose to live their lives that way. But if we are telling the truth on ourselves, if we're being honest, then we know that the tug of sin, that pull away from God's calling that is pulling us through our fears and our insecurities and our shame, That tug is a stronger pull than we would like to admit. If we're telling the truth on ourselves, then we too can admit that there have been times when we do what we don't want to do, we don't do what we want to do, and there have been times where what we have done or what we haven't done have elicited consequences that we regret. We all know that we need something more than just rules to follow. We need grace. For many people in our society, the church has not been a dispensary of grace. Throughout the centuries and still today, the church can be known for offering rejection instead of offering belonging, for offering judgment instead of offering forgiveness, and for offering hatred instead of offering love. For the last several decades, researchers have been following the nuns, as in the people who have no faith tradition, but they have also been watching the alarming rise of the duns, the people who have spent their whole lives in church before one day they decide to just step away completely. There's a current movement in our society amongst people who are under the age of 50 to deconstruct their faith, to take a step away from the church so that they can tease out what they believe about God away from the dogma that they were taught by pastors and faith leaders. Several years ago, I was really surprised when a close friend of mine told me that she had moved out of her house and separated from her husband. It turned out as I talked to her that she, I had just seen her the day before she had moved and she didn't mention a thing. I was startled by it, and I was hurt. I asked her why she didn't tell me. We had a truck. We have strong arms. We would have been very willing to help her to move her and her daughter into this new place that she had found completely on her own. I asked her, I said, why didn't you say anything? And even though we had been close friends for several years, even though we had gotten into all sorts of trouble with one another, she said, well, you're a pastor, and I didn't want to put you in a position of having to tell me that I was a bad person. Her story is not a unique story. Even her close friendship with me could not completely dispel her fear that my faith would be the thing that rejected her. But when we look at scripture, when we read Paul, when we look at the life of Jesus Christ who lived unafraid of sin and so lived counter to fear and insecurity and shame, we know that the church is embodied, is called to embody that same kind of grace. Friends, we as the church are called to be people, to give people what they don't deserve. We as the church are the ones who are called to be the first people to tell the truth on ourselves so that we can go out of our way by lifting the shame off of the shoulders of those people around us. The church is many, many things. It's a gathering to honor God and worship. It's a community of service. It's a network of prayer. But in all of these things, we are first called to be a dispensary of grace. If a seven-year-old could figure it out with a little stack of baseball cards, then we can do this too. Amen.